Thank you so much for your love and encouragement and prayers over these past months in particular. We're very excited about the future, um, both sabbatical and here with you. We have the privilege this morning of hearing the Word of God as He writes to us. From Luke 10, verse 25, hear the Word of God. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. Let me pray. Father, we come to you and we ask simply that you would give us ears to hear from you today. We ask that you would make us good neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. What kind of church do you want to be? In the early 1800s, the Cape Hatteras Life Saving Station was founded by volunteers to assist shipwrecked mariners. The Massachusetts Humane Society spearheaded many life-saving stations for a century. These stations were found from New England all the way around Florida to Texas and even in the Great Lakes. And they served as the foundation of what became the United States Coast Guard. The story has long been told of one station on a very rugged and beautiful coastline. It was a very humble hut. And over the years, the volunteers saved the lives of many. As time went on, some wanted to upgrade the station and make it nicer and nicer and nicer. And then some did not like it when the weak and the weary were rescued and brought into the station. Long story short, within a few generations, that life-saving station became a posh club loved by many, and the original mission was lost. The church of the Lord Jesus can also be in danger of turning inwardly and only becoming self-serving. We want to talk about that this morning. 
This last month, we have been unpacking our mission and values, what we desire to be. And they all speak to relationship. Our mission, inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. Would you say that with me? Inviting every person into the life-changing story of Jesus. Thus far, three values have been presented to you by Tyler and Mark. They all hinge on relationship. Always truth, always love. Relationship. Welcome and wanted. Relationship. Better together. Relationship. Today, we come to neighbors near and far. Listen to what we say about that. We labor alongside our partners, cultivating deep relationships as we seek to bring Christ's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. There are so many ways we could say this. Yes, near and far, rich and poor, young and old, boomers and millennials and generations X, Y, Z, Gen Alpha, that is our youngest ones among us today. Our neighbors are the privileged and they're the down and out. They are the ones next door, the homeless, the illegals, the refugees. When we say neighbors near and far, we are not only thinking geographically. We think those who are not yet part of us. We think those who are different from us, whether it's ethnically, socioeconomically, politically, and so we could go on. These people are neighbors whom we are to love. Jesus, who is at the heart of our text today, focused on neighbors near and far. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 says it this way, and he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Neighbors near and far must be our focus also. Ministry always flows out of relationship. Regarding parables, Jesus used many parables to apply scripture to his audience and to teach new things, to drive home his desired point. The parable is something that's thrown alongside of, a paramedic beside the doctor, a paralegal alongside the lawyer. I'm not going to make any jokes today. Also, Jesus uses parables to teach about his kingdom. Back to our statement, cultivating deep relationships as we seek to bring Christ's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. This kingdom is going to be glorious, and it is composed of a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Some of the last words of Jesus tell us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then in Acts 1, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We see neighbors near and far, time and again in Scripture. At some point, every one of us was a neighbor to someone. And he or she reached out in obedience to the word of God. 
and loved us. And now we are the ones looking at our neighbors near and far. The story of the Good Samaritan is full of questions. Jesus is asked two questions. He responds with one question and then a story. The first question from the lawyer. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? As the lawyer, the legal expert is testing or trying to trap Jesus. He's asking what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. But it's a flawed question because everyone knows that you do not have to do anything to inherit. You receive the inheritance as a gift given to you because of who you are. Perhaps someone in close relationship or friend. The lawyer's misunderstanding was that he thought he could earn his salvation. Back to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds to the question with his own question. What is written in the law? How do you read it? The legal expert says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And that really sums up the whole law. Love God and love man. But what the lawyer thinks is that by keeping those teachings, he will gain eternal life by his own effort. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But no one can meet that standard except for Jesus. Then comes the next question from the lawyer in verse 29. He's desiring to justify himself, still trying to earn eternal life. And he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? These two questions really set the context for the parable which Jesus told. Jesus responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. And that is a concept that is understood throughout much of the world today. There are Good Samaritan societies, clubs, agencies, hospitals, churches, foundations. There are even Good Samaritan laws. It is a concept many understand, but it goes so much deeper. We have a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it is an absolutely desolate, treacherous, dangerous journey of about 15 miles through the desert. And in responding to the lawyer's question, and who is my neighbor, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among the robbers who stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Surely, a priest is going to help one in such need. No help is given. So likewise, we're told, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The second person who comes along is a Levite. Well, what's the difference between a Levite and a priest? Well, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Many were assistants, helpers to the priest, and he had responsibilities in the tabernacles perhaps. But likewise, the Levite saw the man and he passed by on the other side. 
you can't help but read this about these two religious people passing by and asking yourselves, what would I do? Would I be willing to get dirty? Would I be fearful for my own safety? Well, let me tell you um, about your pastor. One time driving out of Mexico, Rita and I were on a very uh, desolate road. It actually looked very much like that road there down to Jericho. Baby Joseph was with us. And we came around a bend in the road. And we were the first car to arrive on this scene where an 18-wheeler had turned over. And fire was coming out of the cab very near to the diesel tanks. And the screams of the driver were horrific. Boy, I'd love to be able to tell you my heroic intervention, but that didn't happen. You know what I did? I grabbed my camera. And I lived with the images, not of the pictures I took, but of the screams I heard for a very long time. I don't have a great memory of past events or conversations, but I remember very distinctly telling Rita after that, that, hey, if I ever get killed doing something, trying to save somebody, please forgive me. Um, it had a profound effect upon me. Um, I don't like to get out of my comfort zone, and maybe you don't either. The first two people passing by, the wounded man, <clears throat> are asking, what might happen to me if I help? The next one that we're going to see must have been asking a very different question, and that was, what might happen to the man if I do not help? The drama's building in this story. Well, who's coming next? Jesus continues, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The expert in the law would have been stunned that the one who helped was a Samaritan. That was scandalous, and the Samaritans were half-breeds, and the Hebrews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. The Good Samaritan saw the one in need, the Good Samaritan had compassion, and the Good Samaritan sought to meet the need. And then we're told in Luke 10, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. The Samaritan saw the need, had compassion, and practically met the need. Let me tell you about our Greek friends, our partners far in Athens, and what they are doing to bless their near neighbors and their near new neighbors who have come from far. I've learned so much from our Greek friends as they have seen the need, as they have had compassion, and as they have met the needs. Um, Spiros and Jennifer, are you here? Would y'all stand up? Spiros and Jennifer are part of the team in Athens, and they're studying here at seminary, and I hope you'll get to know them. Um, thank you so much. We're glad you're amongst us.
Spiros and Jennifer have worked with our teams or our partners there in Athens for a number of years and are here in preparation to go back. You know, even before the refugee crisis in Europe, there was unrest in the city of Athens. The anarchists um, one time were rioting, and they broke the windows out of the beautiful church building there. And Pastor Yotis, whom some of you remember, um, talks of the congregation huddling together inside the church building after the windows have all been broken out. And everyone was asking, how can we protect ourselves? And how can we fix up our church again? And Yotis says that God put it on his heart, that those windows were broken, were an indication of them needing to go out into the community to help their neighbors there. <clears throat> They went out of their beat-up church to enter into the brokenness of the city. There's a vibrant, growing church today established with the anarchist community where Tim and Alex and their families live. <clears throat> then the immigrants, the new neighbors came from the Middle East and you remember that Greece at this time was in severe financial troubles and they realized these people have come to our city. We have to help. Um, the Greek culture was amazing. Right there in the city of town, they have this um, picture of what they did. Immigrants, you are welcome, it says. Can you imagine that? The church opened a center there in Victoria Square, the heart of where the refugees would congregate. The church fed them. They helped provide medical care. They housed some of them. Pastor George and his church in the suburbs of Athens is doing great things with the refugees, housing them and ministering to them. And some of them have embraced the Lord. Our Greek friends are doing amazing things in theological education, church planting to Greeks and to immigrants, one ministry even to the unaccompanied minors who arrive in Greece having been separated from their families and they arrive there alone and this ministry is taking care of them. Our own Alan Williams is on the board of Faros. They minister also to trafficked women, um, addiction recovery, homeless, gypsies. Um, if you want more info about that, let me encourage you to ask um, Spiros and Jennifer after the service. Um, but what about you and me? Do we see the ones in need? Do we have compassion? Do we seek to meet the needs in tangible ways? Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, not even able to say the word Samaritan. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus responded, you go and do likewise. The true neighbor is one who shows mercy. A question not asked here, but certainly implied, is a good one for us, and that is, what kind of neighbor are you? As we seek to live out the value, value neighbors near and far, 
I want to share with you some of our strategic partners near and far, locally and globally. Our strategic partners near, um, we've identified four jobs partnership. Many of you know Mark Stanikas, who heads this amazing ministry to people um, learning biblical principles for work and life. Choices Women's Clinic is another partner started by um, two ladies from Orangewood many years ago. Boys and Girls Club of Eatonville, we're continuing to develop our relationship there and look forward to what God has for us. And then Elevate Orlando, working in the local high schools. Post-COVID, we want to be more involved there. Um, we're also involved in things like Red Bag and Grace Medical and Orlando's Children's Church and Faith and Finance and, and, and more. Ministry always flows from relationship. And then our strategic partners far. Um, of course, in Latin America, there's Mexico, where we minister with Armonia, with the indigenous students in Oaxaca, with Pilar and Saulito, in Casogar, in Acapulco, the Acapulco Children's Home, and our dear friends who labor there. Um, in fact, next month, um, Dawn and Janet are going down for a visit to check in on them. Um, and then in Honduras, um, with our medical and children's ministry in Greece, in Israel, in Turkey. Um, Post-COVID or pre-COVID, for years, we sent out about 110 of you every year to minister alongside our partners around the world. And we have dozens of other partners that we're not able to go and visit. But more and more, the world has come to us. And it has happened through technology, but it's also happened by immigration. You know, by the year 2045, less than 25 years from now, white Caucasians will not be the majority in the US. And Hispanics will be close to one third of the population. Now, my family is helping in that, and that I have two beautiful daughters-in-law um, and their children also. Um, what is the church doing in regard to the changing demographics? I want to ask Heath Zuniga if he would come up this morning. Heath is a PCA church planter, recently moved to Orlando to start a church um, targeting the Latin community. Um, Heath, um, bienvenido, welcome. Um, we're glad to have you here with us. How about telling us about your family? Yeah, so uh, Orangewood, so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, as Joe said, my name is Heath Zuniga, and my crew is over here to my right, my, my wife, Emily. We have three energetic kiddos, uh, mm -hmm. ages six, four, and two, and uh, it's so good to be here this morning with you. Um, and what brings you to Orlando? Yeah, so we moved to Orlando from Columbus, Ohio to plant a church in Kissimmee. And so the name of our church, we are just getting started with this work. Uh, we have a, a website and, and a name. The name of our church is Kissimmee Fellowship. And quite simply, friends, what we exist to do is we want to gather people to the heart of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that is quite frankly, why we moved to where we did to do what we're doing. And so being in Kissimmee, a, a city that is 70% Latino, it's going to look just a little different contextually. I mean, we are going to be using both English and Spanish. 
And you better believe that we are going to have some salsa rhythms up front <laughs> in our music. It's going to be lively. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, why Orlando? And so, yeah, as we were thinking through what it would look like for us to start a church in the middle of a growing Latino community, there just were many factors that came to mind that just quite frankly were just out of our hands. The Lord was preparing us for this work. And so as the more we looked into it, we we saw just the huge need that exists. And so uh, we are the first PCA church in Osceola County the first PCA church in Osceola County. What that means is just that historically, there hasn't been a reformed presence in that county. And if you'll kind of look at just even just some of the, just the growing statistics, right? Osceola County was one of the fastest growing counties from 2010 to 2020. And so, Joe, the need is just, it is is huge. How can we be a near partner, a good near partner? Yeah, yeah, great question. And so, um, and so the, the thing is, Orangewood, is that it takes the church to plant a church, right? It takes the church to plant a church. And as we are going about networking and sharing what we are doing and just the passion and excitement that's there, I fully believe that God has been and will continue to prepare perhaps folks, some of you folks such as yourself to join us in this effort. And so this church, we are starting from scratch. We've gathered uh, three families thus far, but, but our, our aim is to gather uh, more people. We would invite them in to be a part of, of our core group. So if uh, at all this is of interest to you, if you have questions, would love for you just to consider and to, to pray with what that would look like. And even would love to have coffee or, or lunch with you to talk a little bit more. So uh, yeah, praying through what that would look like to, to partner with us from that lens, but also uh, financially. And so we are uh, raising funds for this church. And, and as you know, that, you know, as the church continues to grow, we are more dependent on internal support than we are external support. But just getting started, we have fundraising goals that we are trying to hit. We still have monthly and annual and one-time needs. So if any of this is of interest to you, I have, I have a flyer. Uh, Joe has told me not to leave the front after the service, so <laughs> we'll be around up front. Would love to just connect with you and answer any questions you have. Thanks so much, Heath. Let's welcome them. I'll be praying for them and others at the end of the service. Um, in fact, we have three ladies going to Greece this week to help um, with Dina and the trafficked women's ministry. So we'll be praying at the end. But you are invited to serve on our teams for our neighbors near and far. Next month, um, a couple more ladies, as I said, will be going down to Acapulco. In February, we have a team Lord willing, going to Israel, and we have room for a few more places there also. Additionally, we have many different teams and ways to serve here in our own body. We cannot have church every Sunday morning without a few dozen volunteers serving and welcoming with children, setting up, tearing down, and more. They serve in very practical ways our own people, 
and also to bless our near neighbors. And I want to encourage you to go online um, to our website, to Church Center app. You can sign up there for ways to serve. And if you'd rather just come and see um, any of us on staff, and we will um, love to talk to you about that. You know, we're all gifted to serve other people. And we are all wired in a certain way and experienced in certain ways. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of the family, part of the team. And remember, ministry flows out of relationships. You've heard us mention the strategy 321, encouraging all of us in our commitment monthly, three times together for worship, two times to connect in a group, and one time to serve on a team. Let me share with you an incident that happened in Southeast Asia in the mid-1960s. A group of Gurkhas from Nepal, they were, was, that, this group was asked by the British if they would be willing to jump from an airplane um, into the Malaysian-Indonesian conflict. We don't know much about the conflict. The British were involved. They usually did anything they were asked, but they rejected this plan. And the next day, the Gurkha's leader came to the British man who had asked and said, we have decided we will jump if we can have three concessions. They wanted to jump in an area that did not have rocky terrain. They wanted to jump if the plane would go as slowly as it could, and they wanted the plane to drop them from no more than 100 feet from ground. The British officer assured him that it would not be over rocky terrain. The plane would fly as slow as it could, um, but the 100 feet was not possible because if they did that, their parachutes would not open in time. And when the Gurkha heard that, he said, you didn't mention parachutes. If you give us parachutes, we'll jump from anywhere. Well, we're not going to ask you to jump from a plane, but we will challenge and encourage you with three, two, one. And we are going to keep our mission and our values before you. Let me end with a story. It involves one of the most marginalized, misunderstood, and even feared people groups in the world, the gypsies. In fact, one of our missionary friends there in Greece, many of you know Mark Petro, he works with the Roma, the gypsies there in Athens. The brokenness of life can be seen in the life of Rodney Gypsy Smith. He became a well-known evangelist on two continents. Gypsy was born in 1860 in a tent outside of London to Gypsy parents. His mother died when he was very young. And the five young children, they had a rough, illiterate, drunken, carousing father who was described as a dishonest fiddler player who frequented the taverns nightly. And after the death of his wife, Gypsy's father was in a tavern. He was given the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, and a neighbor would have to read it to him. Gypsy the son later wrote of the family's story and said of his father, when he got to the point where Pilgrim's burden 
drops off as he looks at the cross of Christ. He rose from his seat by the wayside and excitedly walking up and down cried, that is what I want, my burden removed. If God does not save me, I shall die. There is a hunger gnawing at my heart. I can neither eat, drink, or sleep. The father soon after heard a very convicting sermon from the prison preacher. He was in prison. And he had a dream in which Christ appeared to him and showed him his nail-pierced hands. And Gypsy writes, In utter exhaustion and tired of carrying his sins and burdens, my father trusted in the Lord Jesus. And Gypsy says that when his father trusted in Christ, the people were singing, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And the refrain was, I do believe, I will believe that Jesus died for me. His father was released from prison. He came home. He gathered his five motherless children to himself. And Gypsy writes the following, which is really the story of the gospel, just like our stories. The father said, do not be afraid of me, my dears. God has sent home your father, a new creature and a new man. He put his arms as far around us as they would go, kissing us all. And he fell on his knees and began to pray. Never will my brother, sisters, and I forget that first prayer. I still feel its sacred influence on my heart and soul. In storm and sunshine, life and death, I expect to feel the benediction of that first prayer my whole life. And then through the Father, it spread to neighbors. Gypsy writes, there was no sleep for any of us that night. Father was singing, I do believe, I will believe that Jesus died for me. Morning when it dawned, found my Father full of this new life and this new joy. God told him he must go to the other gypsy neighbors that were encamped there. And he began to sing in the midst of them and told them what God had done for him. Many of them wept. And all 13 gypsies professed to find Christ that morning. He was inviting others into the life-changing story of Jesus by sharing his own story. Gypsy the son came to know Christ also. And he taught himself to read and to write. He became a powerful preacher proclaiming Christ in England and in the United States for close to 70 years. He was used to bless many thousands of people. And God loves to bless his people. And God loves for his people to bless their neighbors as they invite others into this life-changing story of Jesus. I tell you this story to show the impact that loving the neighbor can have. Who knows? Perhaps one of our ancestors from a two or three or four generations ago might have heard Gypsy Smith proclaim the gospel. Gypsy Smith, later in his life, after speaking in hundreds of huge gatherings, after crossing the Atlantic 45 times holding crusades, and after having been invited 
into the White House by two different presidents. A delegation of earnest men and women went to him here in the United States to inquire how they might experience personal and mass revival just like he had. They wanted to be a blessing to neighbors the way Gypsy was a blessing. And without hesitating, this is what Gypsy said. Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. There on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. Might you and I draw a circle and pray for revival. It starts right here. My revival starts with me. Your revival starts with you. And then a church revived cares about neighbors near and far. What kind of neighbor are you? What kind of neighbor will you be? What kind of neighbors are we going to be together as we seek to live out better together? Welcome and wanted. Always truth. Always love. Neighbors near and far. Jesus changes everything. As I pray this morning, I'm going to ask Heath and his family, Emily, and to stand up. And I'm going to pray for them. Our three ladies going to Athens, Vicki and Amy and Jenny, would y'all stand? And then if Dawn and Janet are here going to Acapulco, I'll pray for them too, if they would stand. Um, the grace to see the need. May we be given that by the Lord. But let's pray. Father, you have called us out of darkness into the light of Christ. You have gifted and equipped us. You have put us in relationship with yourself and each other and neighbors near and far. We ask that you would give us and give Heath and Emily and family, Vicki and Amy and Jenny, Dawn and Janet, um, we ask that you would give them the grace to see the need, to have compassion, to meet the needs of our neighbors. And we pray all of this for the glory of Christ. We ask that you would bring your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.